This episode is brought to you by CycleOps, one of my favorite things ever. CycleOps is a family-owned company since 1974, and they are bringing you the number one bike trainer brands in America. So what is a bike trainer, for those of you who don't know? Well, it's a way to take your fabulous bike and to ride it indoors. And there are two new smart trainers, the Magnus and the Hammer, use virtual training software, such as Zwift or Trainer Road, to make indoor training more fun. They're hand-built in Madison, Wisconsin. And... How awesome is a giveaway? Cyclops is having a giveaway for the listeners of this podcast. Go to swimbikemom.com forward slash giveaway. They are giving away a Magnus trainer. Hello. Completely awesome. So check it out, you guys, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the same 24 hours podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day, and it's what we do with those 24 hours that makes all of the difference in our health, our happiness, and our success. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. I am thrilled to introduce Erin Musto. She is the founder of Maddie's Mark. And we're going to talk about all, all sorts of things and a lot about what this great organization is doing. So welcome, Erin. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm really very excited. excited. Yeah, so. absolutely. So where do we start? Let's just start with your story and how Maddie's Mark came to be. So Maddie's Mark is um, it's our family's way to honor my daughter, Madeline who passed away five and a half years ago of DIPG, which is an inoperable brainstem tumor. Um, on, on, um, she was diagnosed on February 3rd, and she passed away on February 8th, which is very, very uncommon for any childhood cancer, but, uh, you know, especially this one. And, and the really terrible part about DIPG is that it's terminal upon diagnosis, like things haven't changed. So um, after she passed away, um, we... We needed to do something. We needed to do something to honor her and to bring her along. Um, I think back then I looked at it as a way to to kind of focus my energy into somewhere positive. But looking back now, Maddie's Mark has become kind of um, like a very creative and beautiful way for for me to still have like pieces of Madeline enter pieces of my current life. Um, and Maddie's Mark is a foundation we started to gift children best day ever, which is something that Madeline always enjoyed. She was a very, very simple five and a half year old girl. She was in kindergarten and she loved to just run and play and have fun with her friends. And, you know, she was very simple, very kind Mm -hmm. and compassionate, which is not always common in kindergartners um, (laughs) and, or adults. But, um, but Madeline was just this very different child. She had such a different energy. And I wanted you know, like we needed to find a way for her, her friends and her family to still talk about her. And so after she passed away, we, um, you know, we, we just kind of got into a drawing board of, did we want to do a scholarship or do, what, what did we want to do? But those are all things that weren't really like her at that point. So I just kind of went back to square one and back to the way that she was and the way that people took care of us when she was sick and after she passed and the way that they carried us. And they, 
you know, they, they did these kind things for us so that life was easy. And so the foundation was really built on this concept of doing what others did for us to make it easy and memorable and take care of all the details. Because when you have a sick child, you surely don't have the time or energy or money or, you know, function in your brain to plan events. It's just, that takes a very far back burner, but they're still event. They're, they're so important. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we kind of do that. I want to ask you a question and, real quick. Um, mm-hmm. when you just said, you know, the kindness that people did, the things that they did for you, what kind of things, you know, I, I always come across people that, you know, are in dire health situations or in mm-hmm. just kind of a tough situation. You want to do something. What are some of the things that people did for you that you thought, oh my gosh, this is just what I needed? I think um, I had a great group of moms from a mom's group. And I feel like we all had this great respect for each other when we were going through any type of thing. So when we had babies, they were so quick to set up like a meal train or if something <laughs> happened, say a friend miscarried or something. People were on board very quickly and, and politely and quietly to take care of things, but not bug them. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like when Madeline died, it was kind of that same thing. Like these people stepped in with these great ideas. I can now like voice how helpful they were, but I could never have known back then. And, um, they, they took care of a meal train. And one of the first people, things I tell people when they have, you know, somebody sick in their family period or a child gets sick is do not bombard them with text messages or anything really just respect some space, let them digest life. Um, and usually with families, when this happens, I tell them to direct one person to be the communicator. So what you want relate to everybody that becomes only one person does it. So there is not this, you know, like bombarding of a family that's going through this. And the world is different now that we have social media. Um, you know, people connect to you that are, you know, seven, several sev- degrees of separation away from what we would have had 20 years ago. Right. So, um, but that's so helpful too, because you can set up these online meal trains where people sign up and, um, either have food delivered. But, but the best thing I thought my friends did was put a cooler outside my house. And so I didn't have to feel like every day when people delivered like these awesome gifts that I had to go out and talk. If it was not a good time for me, I could just be alone. Um, but the, you know, people really, you know, they celebrated Madeline for the way that she was and the way that we needed to do everything. And that's another thing that I talk to people about everybody in this world very quick to have their own idea of how life should be. Um, it's not normal for your child to die, but people have opinions as to you know, how you should get them treated or where they should go. And um, just, I always tell people to keep their opinions to themselves because in your own situation, it, it's very hurtful to be a mom and have people tell you that um, a treatment in Texas will totally save your daughter. But if, if you don't take her there, then it'll be your fault. And so you just respect people in their, and their own family choices. Um, yeah. They, they're never going to be the same as you. I know parents who have fought and had their children on life support. And I know parents who are much quicker to bring their children home to go. Um, and it's just whatever's right for your own family and for your own self. And, and that's a big one because especially in this world of social media, I feel like people are very quick to judge. Yeah. Um, for sure. Without having the whole story. And, um, and so that was some, some of the really helpful things. I had some really positive people that took care of her funeral. They did things I never would have thought of. They had favors. Um, I 
you know, I, my daughter's name was Madeline. So from the time she was born, I, I envisioned this beautiful birthday party that would be totally Madeline themed from mm-hmm. the books and a tea party. And I made these favors and I would sat all night and made these um, peg people necklaces. And every girl that when came to the party had this necklace and they all still cherish them. Um, they're, you know, they're 11 and 12 years old now, but they still have this gift. And so my friends knew how important it was to me to have like a very, like a treasure, something from an event that reminds you of the, that event. Um, mm-hmm. And so they, they made these beautiful pins and they sat, I mean, I have no idea how long they did. They sat for, you know, night before the funeral and they made these pins and they did the photo boards and they, they just took care of everything for me and they didn't bug me. Um, yeah. And that was super helpful because you can't, you know, you shouldn't be planning your child's funeral but you surely can't take on all those tasks with only a few days. So I feel like my friends did a great job of um, being super respectful of my space, but still taking care of my family, Um, directing people as to where to put money, you know, like not having 700 things sent to my house, but instead they purchased um, flowers for the table. And Madeline's wake was like, it was like the wedding she doesn't get to have. It was beautiful. Um, And it, it didn't feel so sad it felt like the children ran around and they wrote notes to her mm-hmm. and um and they thought of all that stuff so I feel like when people have this things happen I always try to direct them to do like you know if if it's winter go shovel the driveway if it's yeah. summer go mow the lawn take care of all the things that a family can't deal with and don't stick around or wait for a thank you just do it like yeah don't you know don't think about it weed their garden plant some flowers like do all those things that they're not going to have time to, but you know that they're going to be so glad it's done and it just takes weight off of them. That's incredible. Did you have like one, one friend that kind of headed it? How do you just become the point person? I mean, if, if someone close um, to you, you know, is going through something, cause I think that that is such a valuable piece of information. It, that it you is. Said. Yeah. Usually I'd, I'd say it's like an aunt uh-huh. or an uncle that's very close to the family, maybe a friend. We had one or two only because there were, my family is huge. So we kind of directed somebody to take care of my family. And then somebody just kind of stepped into the room. Some people get their feelings hurt if they're not the ones chosen. And I always say that, you know, like, it's not about you. The moment that you start thinking that these things are about you, then you're drawing away from the fact that you're just rallying around for people. You're just yeah. taking care of them. Um, it's not about ego. And some people get their egos hurt, but um, it's, you know, it's just, it's just a role that it'll depend on for every person, like what type of person takes that role, but you want mm-hmm. somebody who's organized and bold because there's going to be chaos Yeah, and they, they have to be able to like keep the chaos at a while. So, um, so let's rewind a little bit when you said that Maddie passed away within a few days of her diagnosis, what mm-hmm. symptoms did she have that alerted you to the fact that she was sick? So Madeline, now that I can look back, there are a few symptoms that looked very normal. Um, and I'm a pretty, you know, like I, I'm around my kids a lot. I'm as a stay at home mom and stuff. So I see them a lot, but now that I look back, I can see some changes in like one side of her face when she smiled in about November. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally like we had three instances of a fever, but no other symptoms. In, wow. But that's not really uncommon for a child in kindergarten to have a fever. So, right. you know, I talked to my doctor and then we kind of brushed it away. 
Um, she was very homesick at school, but now I know that she didn't know the words to describe some things to me. Like she started to not like lunch, but she, I believe that she was having a hard time swallowing and keeping up to eat with her friends. She just, she didn't have the words to tell me everything, all the symptoms she had. Um, mm-hmm. And in the end of January, she had a night where she was dizzy. And I remember she didn't know how to tell me that she had, was dizzy. She felt silly. She she couldn't, like, make her body move the way that she wanted to, but she thought it was kind of silly, which to a child, a dizzy feeling can be silly. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, so it's, it, it was a little, I feel like there's different circumstances because she was young. Um, that we just didn't, we didn't know, but she was never, other than being homesick, she was very content. You know, she got to have a couple extra days off from school because she got sick. But I, I now know that when she laid down flat, like her tumor would have made her nauseous. So, but that's all going forward and looking back. Um, Mm -hmm. but just the week that we took her in her left side started not working. Like she couldn't walk within a day or two. So we, um, you know, like we called our doctor and took her to the Albany Med um, emergency room. And from there, my friend, Madeline's friend, actually, her dad, uh, Dr. German, is a neurosurgeon there. And he stopped in to see us in the emergency room. Um, and when he saw her, he knew it was a neurological issue. And he talked to some do- um, the pediatric oncologist or the pediatric um, brain surgeon and moved along the CAT scan and the MRI. And by the next morning, that's how we knew. Um, but her symptoms came up a lot faster than most kids with this disease. And she progressed much faster. So it isn't necessarily the most common DIPG case. Um, her tumor ruptured and she passed away before she experienced a lot of the the, the treatment and the, the issues that you would have with a child that ends up progressing into DIPG. So, um, because, uh, diffuse intrinsic pontine glioma is, uh, very, it's, it's a rare childhood cancer that's inoperable and it's located in your pons, which is the oldest part of our, um, our body system, our brain. And it's the part that tells us to breathe and to, you know, how to swallow and to for our heart to beat. So it's kind of, it kind of, um, takes away all those functions. Mm-hmm. And the sad part is, is it keeps all the others. So as you're losing those functions, you're understanding that you're losing them, which is very difficult for kids, um, to know that, you know, they ran like cheetahs one day and only a few days later, they, um, they're no longer able to do that. And the treatments haven't changed, um, in 30 plus years. So it's a, it's terminal upon diagnosis and most kids get a small honeymoon period and then a very, very, um, very, very ugly, um, end of life. It's a, it's not a very kind cancer. So, um, what are so some Madeline didn't, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. She didn't really experience a lot of that, like loss of being her. And, um, sometimes I think that that was part of the miracle for her. She didn't have to experience that extra pain and knowledge of losing all of the pieces of her. So, yeah. um, So what are some of the common symptoms? Were they the ones that Madeline experienced? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, They are. They're just, um, I didn't, so we didn't know that she felt dizzy. So if she had known those words, but 
it's like when you're only five, our language and understanding doesn't have that. So um, many kids start to fall, you know, like they lose their balance or parents will notice uh, things about their, the way that their eye is moving or the way that their smile is. Cause mm. many kids, the beginning symptoms is kind of a, um, a slight paralysis of your face. Um, usually it's on one side and usually, you know, like it could be other things like nausea if you're not sitting up. Uh, I know kids who have, you know, they were playing sports and they fell and they went in to get checked for a CAT scan because of some issue and they find out that it's this. And, um, it's, uh, it's something that I didn't know about before February 3rd. And, um, and now I work really hard to raise awareness and funding so that we can have better treatment so that a parent doesn't have to hear the words inoperable brainstem tumor that, you know, your child has nine months or less or a little bit more to live. And that's, it's hard to, it's hard to um, figure out what to do with your nine months. You're faced with a lot of choices when you have a disease like this, whether or not you take, you know, go to Mexico and leave your other children behind to extend life or go to London or it's, it's a very, um, it's a different type of disease than most cancers. So, Is it um, unique to children? I mean, is it, it a pediatric yeah. cancer? Yeah. It is. And it tends to only impact children between the ages of 5 and 12. But I do know some cases, and that's just probably the, the bell curve, right. um, some cases of kids a little younger and some cases of kids up to like 16. Um, but generally speaking, it's, it's like between those ages. So, so when you work to start Maddie's Mark, um, part of the reason behind it was to provide these sort of opportunities and, and environments mm-hmm. for, for families to know what to do with the, the days that are left. Is that, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So talk yeah. about that a little bit. So in the last days, so between the time that Madeline was diagnosed and she passed away, I always say that the world moved mountains for us. Um, they made anything that we needed to happen, happen. And it was almost like it happened behind the scenes. Like it didn't impact us get, you know, going to get a photographer and things like, um, Matt's mother suggested, um, Madeline make her first communion. And so she contacted a priest from a church down here and they got a, um, I think it's called a compensation, but I could be wrong, um, to allow her to make her first communion and her confirmation. And that would be like, you know, within a day. Mm-hmm. So within a day, she was ha- going to make her first communion and confirmation. Um, we had a professional photography shoot with my, the most amazing photographer. And she just, you know, she, she got all these shots of life before everything really changed. And then Madeline really wanted to go to the cottage that we go to. I'm, I'm originally from uh, Watertown, New York, which is up north by the Thousand Islands. And um, so we had a lot of family with cottages on Lake Ontario. And so we would rent a cottage with the girls when they were little. And they each, they had their own bedroom there. And it had, you know, and it was adorably tacky, but she loved it because it had a little TV and all the things that we don't have in Albany. Mm-hmm. And so she really wanted to go there. But this was in February and that cottage is not winterized. So I talked to my brother and a few people and they set up to get a cabin up in Lake Placid. 
um, within with tiny bits of notice, these people pulled together all these things. Um, and while we were at this cabin after the day, so Madeline made her first communion um, and had a beautiful party after that was catered, and people came from everywhere. And um, and then we went up to Lake Placid with my family, which is you know, and Matt's family, and it was you know probably thirty people in one house. Mm-hmm. And it never felt overfilled. Um, and we ate dinner and we had entertainment from um, Matt's, a, a cousin of ours that that does that and sang for us and read stories to the kids and just really enjoyed being there. Um, and while we were there, we saw the ice castle in Saranac Lake, which is pretty cool and mm-hmm. kind of famous in that area. And then we did pottery together. Um, and my whole family, everybody got handprints of like all the grandkids or of Madeline on their things. In fact, I, I didn't even realize this now, but my sister got Madeline's lip prints on hers with like a glaze and then they cooked it. And so my sister Courtney has like a, a plate with Madeline's lip prints on it. Um, still. And, and I look back now and, you know, it was a small thing to do to go do this pottery, but it's like, we all have these beautiful like treasures Mm-hmm. Um, like that I can no longer put my daughter's handprint on a platter and, but I have a platter with her handprint on it now. Yeah. Um, and then she started, her symptoms started to worsen. And so we came back from Albany and then, um, that the night we came back to Albany, her symptoms really worsened and her breathing worsened and our doctor visited us at home. But, um, that night we ended up having to go to the emergency room and Madeline passed away in the emergency room. Um, and it was, it sounds like it was this horribly ugly experience, but it was pretty beautiful. And really? um, she was very ready uh, to sit with your daughters. It, it's still surreal. Um, but she, I know she was ready and she was fine. And her sisters were there. And we kind of, I would say we sang her into heaven. The girls were so little that the, Lucy sang the ABC song. And um, just simple. We were just together. And then she left. And, um, I was so sad that I never got to take her. I wanted to bring her to our pottery place, um, to get these fingerprint. I found these silver necklaces where they take your fingerprint and they make a necklace. And I just, I broke down to the nurses in the hallway and the trauma nurses took it upon themselves after, you know, working that whole night with us to, um, to take her fingerprints. And like to call the pottery place and find a way to get the fingerprints there and then go to the funeral home and have these made for me. Um, And so they kind of created a way to do that because the pottery place had never taken prints from a child that didn't walk in and put their finger in the clay. Um, So they kind of created a new way to do it. Um, We also that night, because Madeline had no treatment for cancer, really, and nothing in her body, we were able to donate her um her organs like we could donate her heart tissues and her corneas which is kind of special to know that um somebody's somebody has her eyes still and pieces of her heart yeah have fixed adults and children's hearts um so it's kind of uh amazing to know that that those things could happen too and a lot of times they can't happen later in the process right. but i always feel like maybe our short amount of time was a gift from God to be able to allow her to still be here physically, but also to allow her to not have to experience all the pain as she lost all of those functions. 
But um, in the days after Maddie's death, all of our friends took care of the funeral and the cost and just our family. Like, people didn't know what to do. So they, you know, like, I had been scheduling a renovation for our upstairs, and we left for a weekend, and my friends and some anonymous people put together our bathroom, like a new bathroom. And I say put together, but it has marble floors and a beautiful, like, clawfoot tub. So it wasn't like they just wow. put together. Um, and, and another group of people, they redid our entire yard. And when they had the idea, it was a little idea. Like, can we do some plantings? But then, like, all these people heard about it, these other companies, to the point where they resodded my yard. And one day, we came home to, like, extreme home yard makeover. Wow. And so... And people just spoiled, like, the things that were important for my girls and stuff. So Maddie's Mark was those things. It's the party to celebrate the First Communion or the trip to be together as a family and the photographer to take those moments that are going to change and the fingerprint necklace or the bathroom redo or the bedroom redo or a new yard to put a pool in for a child who's going to be stuck home all summer because they have no money because they're paying so much money for these things. So the different best favors we do really tie back to the things that people did for us. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, like it's not a party for a first communion, but it might be a party for an end of chemo treatment. And it's not a new bathroom, but it might be like a a well-designed teenager's bedroom for somebody who's not going to be here forever. And, and some, it's not, we don't limit it to terminal um, children or just cancer. We we really just try to take care of any sick children because, um, you know, any all these families could use something to uplift them. Um, and and so the, I don't know if everybody knows that the things that we generally do and the ideas that come to me for those events are things that people did for us. So that's why they make sense to me and how much it meant to me to come home and know that like I had two toilets because. I had so many family members coming to visit and like my nieces and nephews would come and I have this tiny little Cape Cod. So to know that I had this beautiful backyard to entertain people or, you know, like it just, it just made my life a lot easier. Right. Um, and that's what we try to do. So what are some um, of the, the most, I guess, I guess, exciting things for the kids that have, that you guys have, have done? <clears throat> So there are a lot over the past few years. Um, One of my most favorite things, though, is that the families we do these for oftentimes come along for the journey after, and they get to come and help us. Mm -hmm. So it's like we just keep piling people on to do these jobs, um, and they've all experienced things. So it's very special. And it's it's fun to use people's skills, you know, company skills to to do this, because it's nice. If, If you have a landscaping business, it's really fun to use your skills to help, you know, go in and do this stuff. But um. I'd have to say that some of my favorite ones, um, I just recently did a best day ever for a little girl named Lola who has the IPG and she's 12 years old and she had her make a wish and her family is super, super polite. Um, they're a Catholic family up North and their dad is military. So they've been all over the place. Um, so they don't have like, you know, where they are now is not necessarily home. Um, Mm -hmm. but the people have really treated them as home. And so Lola's best day ever, or make a wish was a cupcake war show where she got to be the judge. (laughs) So, so she gets this awesome make a wish and all these people locally, like the local, um, news people and local chefs, you know, participated in it was awesome. 
And when I talked to her mom um, about, and Make-A-Wish has some different rules. So if you do a trip, they only include your, um, your direct family. So you can't bring grandparents. So sometimes it's been special for our best day ever kids to get to do that and bring, um, you know, half siblings or other people. There's some rules in, in Make-A-Wish that, that people are happy with best day ever to be able to do different. Um, but her make-a-wish was that and her best day ever, her mom said, I don't know, Lola's really, really different. And I'm like, that's fine. I can totally tack on different. Like, <laughs> just, just tell me what the challenge is. I can figure it out. And she's like, like, I mean, really different, Erin. I mean, Lola doesn't want to go on a trip to like Hershey Park or New York City. She wants to see what heaven's like before she goes to heaven. And I was like, oh, crap. Like, that's a big one. Like, <laughs> I'm like sitting here like, oh, my, I'm so jealous that Make-A-Wish got the cupcake war right. and I've got heaven. Like, <laughs> how do we produce heaven for someone? And so that was in November, I think, that I had talked to her. And honestly, our lives are so busy and I'm generally the one that puts the other best day ever or connects the people to do it. Um, so I kind of put it, I knew it wasn't going to be until the spring because she was undergoing a treatment uh, at St. Jude's, uh, uh, um, a trial. So I knew that up until Christmas, she was pretty busy. So I was like, okay, I don't really have to focus too much on heaven. But I put it in my brain to think about like, what should Lola's heaven look like? And since she's really faithful, she loves to cook and bake. Uh, She loves her family. She loves to be together with them. I wanted to do things that incorporate all the pieces of things that she loves. And maybe that's what her heaven will look like. Um, And so I have. Um, a friend who runs this uh, Word of Life Lodge, which is up in Shroon Lake, which is beautiful, like the most beautiful piece of the Adirondacks. And they it's a Christian-based camp, um, and they have speakers and events. And it just happened that the weekend that they chose fit a military families weekend, which had speakers that would be probably very um, impactful for her, her father and her parents. And they have tons of fun things to do. Um, you know, riding horses and hikes and um, mini golf, all sorts of things, crafts, and then all these things, but they'd be together as a family in like a faith-based place. Mm -hmm. Um, And I felt like that kind of covered a piece of heaven. And then I set it up um, for them to come to Albany, which is a little bit, you know, a couple hours away from Watertown. So they came from there and came to Albany and I have all these great connections. So I had a company take on escorting their family for the whole weekend in limos, which is very cool. When you oh, wow. And, and stuff. And so they were in a limo for everything, but I just need to find some cool piece of heaven. Um, and I, I really want it to be like <laughs> something. So I, I was talking to a friend who's, um, who works for pals, which con- t- takes kids back and forth to places for appointments, but they, they have like uh, flights. So they have helicopter drivers and plane people that uh, pilots, which will bring your children to appointments. So, um, so it's kind of a cool travel, but also necessary. Mm-hmm. So I was talking to her and she said, one of the kids that she worked with, Hey, he had lost his brother and his mother and was getting a transport somewhere. And he told her that he felt closest to heaven when he was in a helicopter in the sky. And that was the first time he'd felt his mom and brother. And so I was like, well, I, that's what I should do. Like maybe something in, so my friend has a helicopter company and she took on like creating Lola's heaven in the sky with her helicopter um, on a ride. And then 
I, I wanted them to have those concrete, beautiful things to remember later. So we did a night at the pottery place. So they did, you know, handprint art there and, and family plates and, and they loved it because there, there isn't stuff to do like that everywhere. Um, we have a lot of resources here in Albany and then they, um, a local restaurant, like a local family that owns many restaurants actually, uh, basically lent them their bakery's kitchen and their cake decorator. And she got to like go crazy with every cake decorating tool <laughs> and all the frosting she could imagine. Um, and that was kind of like her baking heaven. And in between there we had dinners and other special things, but, um, like creating Lola's heaven was probably one of my most favorite best day ever. Um, and, and it's still like, it still just keeps me moving. That's really Sometimes you just get so, so caught up in like living and doing this stuff that you kind of forget how extraordinary it is that people entrust you with, to give their, you know, entrust you to set up travel plans or to set up a best day ever. And, And honestly, it's a lot of trust because I don't, I don't, I kind of take the reins. So yeah. I, I get the details from them and then I take on because I found that having too much input from families is too much for them. Right. They start overthinking stuff. But, um, how did so you it's, know? It's kind of a, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. sorry. It's just kind of amazing. Sorry. How did you know to move so quickly after Madeline's diagnosis? I mean, you, did they give you a time frame? I mean, cause you said sometimes the diagnosis is like nine months. I mean, yeah. So they did. Um, uh-huh. They told us to expect many weeks or months. Like okay. they, they did not expect that. I don't, something in me just told me. Um, I just knew that Madeline wasn't going to be here for very long. Um, and I think Matthew knew too. So I, I feel like um, as, as hard as it's been to lose for every hard thing, um, God has kind of thrown in a support system or a preparation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do think now that I can look back at some things that happened in the weeks and months before, I think he prepared me. He he took a lot of things off my plate. Um, maybe like some anger that I had in my marriage. Um, he just kind of took that part away so that I didn't have to do that then. And um, I don't know how we knew how to act yeah. other than the fact that there was just a feeling that um, we didn't have a lot of time. So I was reading um, your blog. Your blog is climbing up the polka dot tree dot wordpress.com. Mm-hmm. What, what's the meaning behind the, the name? So I, um, I love polka dots. Um, and I always liken things to, I, somehow a tree always ends up in everything that I do. Um, Maddie's headstone is a tree. Um, when I draw, I tend to draw trees. Like I just feel like they make a lot of sense in life depending whatever you're talking about, like, um, just the way that they grow and the way they're all different and the way that, um, I don't know, they, they bring beauty. They bring, they bring a mess. If you live in the North, they bring, like they're kind of like life, you know, there's these, they're awesome in the summer and then they lose their leaves and then they cause, uh, you know, huge allergies in the spring. <laughs> and I don't know. I'm, I just always kind of, am drawn to trees and, I always wanted to blog uh, and write, and I always have written. I kind of stopped with my, my girls. I had my girls just because when you have three kids under the age of three, it is really rough to find time to do anything right. for yourself. Um, you know, and, and I have all sorts of friends. You know, I was one of the first of my friends to have children, and now my friends are all having them. 
And I'm, you know, my kids are older now and I'm like, I promise you it gets better. You will be able to breathe. You will be able to go to the bathroom with the door closed. You, it will get, it doesn't really get easier. It just gets different. And, um, you know, it's just really hard in, in those ages to have a lot of time to yourself. And so I didn't do those things. I barely read. I had a fake book club instead of a real book club where we just met once a month and went out to dinner because we knew none of us had enough time to actually read a book. <laughs> but every everybody else in the world had these book clubs, and I was kind of jealous. I'm like, oh, my God, where do they get this time? But um, So we just decided to be really honest and call it fake book club. That's so, funny. Um, so we weren't, like, lying to our husbands and saying, we're going out for book club and not really. We just want to go have wine and eat dinner at a different restaurant. So, right. Some of the other things I lost back then were my like desire to write and be more creative than just painting with my kids in the afternoon. So I started to, as as the girls got a little bigger, I started to kind of keep a journal, but it wasn't like a journal where I wrote about my day. It was where I had these comical or like realistic thoughts that I would love to write a piece about. And so I kind of started my blog when the girls were little, um, about funny parenting things, um, and so, and I was always too scared to actually start because that's like such a commitment and I have huge commitment issues, but, um, I didn't, you know, I wrote, I wrote pieces and I have no idea where this notebook is right now, but someday it'll come up and it'll be very funny to read because I'm such a different parent now than I was before Madeline died. And, um, they, it, it, like back then I was marathon training. And I remember trying to potty train Lucy and how terribly difficult it was. And you'd think by the time you had your third, potty training was like so easy, <laughs> but she was so different and so hard. It's like she didn't really want to be. She kept quitting. Yeah. And so I, I wrote this very funny piece about marathon training versus potty training <laughs> and how to take marathon training any day. So right. it was more like that, but I never got to put it in a, in a way that anybody ever read it. Um, and then after Maddie died, a couple months later, I just, had something in me that had to, had to write it out. Um, and I totally, I did not share my blog for a long time. In fact, when I did, it was a total accident. I, um, <laughs> I went to see Kelly and Michael in New York city. And I have a friend who's been trying to help me with some PR things. And I'm terrible at PR or Facebook or social media, like beyond playing with Facebook and looking at people's stuff. I don't know how to buy ads or do anything like that. So I don't know how to use Twitter. I've been trying, but I don't really understand it. Um, I don't really see the point of Instagram because it pops up on the Facebook, but that's just me. I don't, I need like a person to help me with that stuff. But um, I, so I went to see Kelly and Michael and I was so excited because I don't know about you, but I felt like I was Kelly's friend. So when I was <laughs> like home with my three daughters, I would watch her and I swear to God I would have been one of those people that if I ever ran into her in a park I would have started talking to her like I was her friend yeah because she kept me company and I back at a time when my girls were little and I really didn't have a lot of people who had babies or friends she was my friend she I look forward to seeing her I drank my coffee with her every morning um you know I laughed with her I nursed my kids it was just like she just she was my friend Mm -hmm. so when I finally got to go see her I was so excited so I wrote a piece about it and my friend that is a PR person told me to put it up on her wall. Well, I didn't realize that when I put things on somebody else's wall that everybody can find them <laughs> and they did. And so I was walking around New York city, all excited with friends, getting ready to go have like lunch or something. And I looked down at my phone and everybody is like, Oh my God, 
you know, and I comically, this is a piece that nobody knows. I just talked about how random I was being there. They don't number seats there. You don't know what seat you're getting. Mm-hmm. You just, I, I, at least I don't remember that, but in my piece I had written, you know, like, I know I'm just going to be like person number 34, but I'd love to get to meet you and blah, blah, blah. So everybody thought I was really person number 40, 34. <laughs> and all these people are probably are messaging like the Kelly and Michael show to like, except person number 34. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. And I just felt so naked that day. Like I'm standing in New York city, fully clothed, but I felt exposed. Like I, I, I was terrified to come back to Albany because the whole world now knew all of my feelings that I had been sharing. But yeah. I, I kind of, it kind of became good. Like I, by the time I got home, I, I realized that people were still going to respect my space. That if I wrote about grief or life um, and how much it hurt, they weren't going to think every day they need to walk up to me and say, I'm so sorry for how you feel because it's not, I'm not sorry. Like how I feel is just, I, I want people to know partly so that we all know that we feel the same way. Like mm-hmm. when you lose a child or an adult or anybody close to you in your life, you're going to be numb and then you're going to have feelings and it's totally okay. Don't feel, you don't need to feel guilt over feeling joy or those things. So I tend to just try to share very honestly. Um, and you know, sometimes it makes you feel like you're standing in front of the world with no clothes on. But, um, but when people can connect to you and say, you know, not everybody can do that. Not everybody can stand up and, you know, bear their soul or their day or anything sometimes. And so when they come to you through your messages and they just say, you know, that's really how I felt, um, either in, in losing Madeline or in divorce, like, or in all the situations that led to my divorce. Um, it was not a, it was not a simple divorce. It was, there was a lot of um, dishonesty in my marriage and um, I, I, I didn't lie. Like I, I did definitely didn't slander or anything, but I just, I couldn't lie because I, lo- I had like covered things up before and I, I never found the people I needed to, to get better, um, <laughs> to get healthier. And um, so I just, I feel like in sharing, I've connected to like the most amazing people and the most amazing stories. And sometimes those people needed somebody to say those things so that they knew that others felt it too, right. but they just couldn't bear it. They couldn't share it. So absolutely, so that's kind of why I started writing. And it does tie into Maddie's Mark a lot because I, you know, I communicate about best ever's or just how it felt to do different things and and stuff. So it's kind of a, like, I feel like Madeline and Maddie's Mark and grief and loss, um, really pushed me and like encouraged me to write and were things that I, I knew a lot about that other people don't. And so the polka dot tree is kind of like, um, it's navigating that tree. So climbing up that tree of mm-hmm. life that's stock full of polka dots and mess ups and beautiful things. And, you know, all the things that make a life. Um, but I just tend to love polka dots. I have to say a little. So. Well, talk about grief a little bit. I know that's a, a big theme on your blog. What, after five years, how is grief different than it was, say, a year after Madeline's death? What What is your kind of take on, on the whole grief thing? So I think grief, um, you know, so many people describe it as a 
a process which which mis- can be misunderstood into thinking that there's a way to get through it or to to reach an end point or to get better um or even that that there's like stages which gives you the idea that as you experience one you won't experience the other right and i think for me um i wanted to know in the beginning what it would be like in 5 and 10 and 15 years but it, the whole thing with grief is that you have to go through every bit of it and it is so different like accepting joy is a bit of grief like you are grieving something and it and grief is loss of anything it could be loss of a future it could be loss of the idea of a child i know people who have found out the gender of their baby throughout their entire pregnancy they thought they were having a boy and they had a girl and they felt like they lost a baby mm-hmm. because their brain had created a boy and so um i do always tell people don't find out the gender of your baby because it could be wrong anyway but i i feel like grief is is so is never explained the way that it really is it's um it's not it can't really even be described in like six stages it's, it becomes a piece of you. Uh, if you go through a divorce, you grieve the loss of potentially being naive or um, the life that you saw for yourself is no longer there, which the life that we see for ourselves is never going to be there. I foresaw myself with these three beautiful daughters um, going to prom, having weddings, you know, getting through high school and um, meeting my grandkids and, and being with my husband. And I'm divorced and my daughter is gone. And so most of the time it's just Amelia and Lucy and I, and it's like learning to keep moving through and to keep accepting the pieces that come with it. And, um, and, and at year one, um, I was still very numb. I, I feel like our bodies are made to go through things and our brains are. So numbness is a huge piece of it. You know, I, in a way, I thought I might have been doing it really well to going, you know, in that way, I was trying to almost scientifically, like, assess my grief and mm-hmm. how well I was doing and how well everybody else was doing. But um, it really isn't, a, it's not like that. It's, um, you know, five years later, I can see that it's like, it, it's in every bit of my day. Um, it's it's hard. It, it's hard and, and awesome. It's there's grief involved when I see the 11 and 12 year olds in fifth grade at, at my girl's school and Madeline's not a part of it, but there's joy seeing what they are a part of and how beautiful they sing. Um, and I think for me, I, I think acknowledging that grief is extremely, um, it's very physical, especially in the beginning. It's, it's a lot of people don't, you're not paying attention to what's bugging you. And you have a headache. And mm-hmm. a lot of times, if you can stop and think, your headache is kind of linked to the fact that you're very tight and you're very sad. And, or, or you might be, like, very lazy. Like, you've, you're mad at yourself for being lazy and feeling like you don't want to do anything. And that's, you know, like, the grief, I don't know. Like, it, it's such a different, um, a different thing than I, I thought. And it's so different now, too, because I... I don't know. It's a hard thing to explain. Yeah. Um, but I do know when I meet families that have just lost their children and families, you you kind of start to see, 
like, you know what the next few years will be like for them. And you know what the five-year point will be for them. And I don't know anything about the 10-year point or the 20-year point, but um, it's, it's, it's not so physical anymore. Um, it's, there isn't a 500-pound person that sits on me every afternoon when the bus drives by and doesn't drop off my kindergartner. Um, you know, you, you come to terms with pieces of it, and um, I wouldn't say it becomes your normal, but it just becomes a part of the life you live now, um, which is different than, you know, the life I lived two years ago or five years ago or seven years ago. Um, but it's, it's just something that you kind of bring along. Yeah. And, and it'll, it'll change all the time. There's no, there's no stage. I feel like you don't just leave depression and move on to something else. It's very different. You know, um, a few months ago around Natty's anniversary, I felt, I feel very low a lot of times in February, very, um, no energy. I also live in New York and February is a very, very difficult month for people. It's cold. It's very dark. Um, you know, it's not necessarily social month that people are out barbecuing. So it's hard, uh, here to get the, to bring yourself up. And, um, I just noticed that there was right around January, I started nesting like cleaning my house and almost prepping for February. Um, and then there was just a couple days where dates weren't really important, but I had these weird um, feelings. And I talked to another dad and that had lost his son about two years before me. And he talked about like the way he likens it is to like PTSD where you're not always physically thinking about that, that, um, event where that's, you know, the, you're not sitting on March 4th thinking about what you're doing March 4th, five years ago, but your brain is right. So it's a, it's like a PTSD thing. And, and so your body reacts, but your, your conscious brain might not be in that place. So he really, he made a lot of sense to me that, you know, when, when Amelia and Lucy each made their first communion, um, this year and two years ago. And, you know, Madeline's first communion dress was way too small for them um, because she was five. And so to go purchase another dress, um, I, I'm not like one of those people that purchases new things for everything for my girls, just because I feel like it's more fun to have a tradition where like each girl wears the same dress and picks a new hair thing. Right. But, but they couldn't wear Madeline's dress. And so we purchased a new dress and I made it a fun thing for the girls. And we had different, accessories, but sitting in the church in the same church that my daughter had her funeral at to see my other two daughters at different times make their first communion was really hard. Even though I felt like on the top person, like so proud of them. Like you just feel that like light of pride, um, and like love for your child. But it was laced with like an extreme sadness, but I can still get through it now. Like I can still stand up and, um, and, and go watch them and get through it. And then even with that extreme sadness attached. And I don't think I could have done that a year, you know, at year one. Yeah. Um, because it's kind of like the entire world we live in and the life that we live. I, I always say that it's like we live these beautiful, painful lives, but the, and there's so much joy in them. 
but it's also like the joy is always laced with pain. Like you can't feel joy if you don't feel pain. When you are numb, you are truly numb. You don't, when the first year I was talking about this with a friend um, yesterday, I didn't feel anything. Like my, I didn't feel the sadness when somebody had a miscarriage. Like, and I'm, I'm an empath. I really feel like I feel things for people. But in that first year, I was completely blocked from feeling. Um, but I, I couldn't feel pain, but I couldn't feel joy. And so I feel like as grief has moved forward, I, I've recognized that. Like, to feel that joy that I miss, I have to feel that pain. And, um, and I think that probably answers. I'm sorry. I get <laughs> no, talking and I no, it's keep wonderful. going. So. You mentioned somewhere that you're you parent differently since Madeline's death. What, what are some of the things that you do differently? I think I'm a lot kinder to myself. Um, I, I accept my failure days. Uh, my girls have had to see me be very broken. Um, but I try to just tell them like on those days back then, especially when I couldn't move off the chair, I, I just, I just told them that I missed their sister. And, um, and that's okay to miss her. And, you know, they could go play outside. They could do other, like, don't, you don't have to be sad with me, but I just, this is why I'm not a bad mom. I'm not, you mm-hmm. know, um, and I think I'm kinder to myself because I let myself not think of myself as a bad mom for that. And I, I don't know if I would have done that before. Um, and I tend to really just go, I'm very easygoing where I might've been stressed out about getting everywhere on time. Or so, you know, different things. I, I kind of like in the grand scheme of life, it's all a little deal. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's so not a big deal. Um, I don't plan big things. Uh, we tend to have way more fun when they're little things. Um, and I, I just kind of, you know, I, I invite people along for everything. And I always joke that like, we don't have to be crazy planned to have a barbecue because if there's not enough food, I will just bust out the pickles. <laughs> and you know or whatever like we're it's going to be fun as long as we enter it knowing that it's going to be fun and that's kind of um you know I, I allow my girls to do a lot of things they, they've had a very different life than most children uh they've seen a lot of pain they've had friends that die um and they've they've given these friends amazing gifts and traveled along with them and played with them and then the child doesn't make it and they've they've been there for kids when they're dying. Um, and that's by their choice. I've never forced them to do those things. Um, and they've gotten to go to galas and do all of these, you know, they go with me when I do speaking events and they just have gotten to do these like very adult things that I never had gotten to do, um, and meet people that I'd never gotten to meet. So they've had a really different life and I kind of treat them like, like, you know, for the most part, I'm like, I let them bake and do things because we get to do this once and I'm, I shouldn't stand over them all the time and tell them no. Um, I mean, I'm not happy when they don't clean up and <laughs> most of the time what they bake is definitely not something that we're going to share with, you know, at a birthday party for friends, but you know, I let them cook. Um, I let them cook their own eggs. I let them do things that I probably would have been more nervous to do back then. Um, I'm pretty, I I wouldn't say I'm like super laid back because I still have normal parent worry, but I tend to know that like, you know, I want them to know the cost 
in and their dad is very anxious. He's he's always been, and I don't know if Madeline amplified that or just the fact that his life is very different. He worries a lot, but I don't want them to live a life where they don't do things because they're worried. Um, what I always say to them is I, I tell them that everything has a cost. And Lucy has a lot of anxiety. So she'll think about going to the ocean and then she'll realize there's sharks in the ocean and she doesn't want to go anymore because she's scared of sharks. And I say, one, sharks don't hunt people. They really don't. They would eat a lot more of us. We are not that fast. They obviously don't like the taste of us because they only eat a few of us a year. <laughs> and they could eat a lot more of us. But two, like the ocean is so beautiful and it's such a, you know, an experience. Your skin feels so good when you leave the ocean. The beaches are beautiful. And like, honestly, I'd love to go snorkeling and all these things. And I tell Lucy this, like, but I know that there's some danger, but I also know that I don't want to live my life not experiencing these amazing things because they might hurt me. And and I have a call. I mean, I, I stop at certain points too. Like you assess the cost. I mean, we could live on our couch and probably we won't get in a car accident. And probably we won't get hurt because we sit on the couch all day, but we also won't see anything like we won't do life. And when I'm 70 years old, I'm like, and, or whenever my time comes, I need to be okay with the life that I've lived. I need to be okay with what I've gotten to see and what I've gotten to do because we get to do this once. So I always tell her like, there's an element of um, assessing costs with life. And I don't know if I would have been like that if Madeline we're still here to, to say, you know, like, um, my friend that has a helicopter company, my girls really wanted to ride the helicopter, but Matthew was very scared. And, um, you know, I told him that I, one, I trust her more than I would trust anybody. And two, you know, it's important for me that they get to do those things, even if they're, they're more dangerous than sitting on a couch. Right. Because we can't live our life sitting on a couch or being scared. And so, I offered him because he was terrified to go in the helicopter to, I was like, why don't you, you know, like you can go with them. And now I've never ridden in a helicopter, mind you. Mm-hmm. And now I still haven't ridden in a helicopter because he chose to go with them. And then he was like bursting with happiness as he got off the helicopter because it was such a cool experience. And then like, I still have never ridden in a <laughs> helicopter, but um, he, and he, I sometimes feel like I have to remind him that, there's such amazing things to do. And I know that there's a cost of danger, but it's not worth it to live, to not live and to not experience danger. You know, we're not promised anything. I'm not promised a life of no pain. I'm not promised. I am not promised that my daughters will both get to grow up to be healthy parents. that with jobs that they love and people around them that they love. I'm only promised that today they're my gift. And, you know, tomorrow I hope that they're still my gift. And, we're just not promised those things. We're we're here for the time that we are, and we don't get to know when that is. So, well, you know, Aaron, you have to say yes to the helicopter ride, even though I still I, this summer will be my first you're helicopter need ride. To get you in the helicopter. <laughs> I know, yes. and and the same with motorcycles. He always says no to my daughter Amelia, who's super adorable fashionista, and he's like, nope, you can't ride your grandfather's motorcycle. And Amelia's like, mom, and I'm like, Matt, here's the deal. My, my dad is very safe. He's, you know, 60 something years old. He's not going to, I don't want you to say no to this only because Amelia's you know, still going to ride a motorcycle, but she's going to try it with her 15 or 16 year old boyfriend. <laughs> and I would so much rather her see if she likes it with my 65 year old safe father 
than, you know, her, right. her boyfriend who she sneaks out on a motorcycle <laughs> with. So like we have to, we have to be careful with our nose too as parents. That's so you know, true. Um, That's so true. You know, they, I, I tell them all the time, there's going to be days that I'm not around and somebody's going to ask you if you want to smoke a cigarette or do something. And I mean, they're nine and eight, so they're young and they're like, it's so gross. I would never. And I'm like, so there's, there's going to be a day and you might be embarrassed to say no. I promise I've never met somebody who was 30 or 40 and wish they didn't say no. Like, that's, so just remember that, like, just, you know, I'm not going to be there to be able to tell you, no, do not get a big, you know, cat on your butt tattooed or something like <laughs> just know that forever you will have it so whatever you put there you need to love so don't do it till you love it don't get don't turn 18 years old and just go do it um you know it's just i i know how kids work so. that's funny um, well aaron thank you so much this was great um everyone check out maddiesmark.org and that's d-d-i-e-m-a-d-d-i-e-s um, I think what you're doing is just so wonderful. And, Thank you. Um, and we, ta- we do have a really active Facebook page too. So okay, good. Well, I'll post up the link to that in the show notes. Thank you. And one final question before we go. Um, what was Madeline's favorite color? Well, everybody thinks it's purple. So somebody asked her in the hospital what her favorite color was, what the first, the day we were there. And she said purple, but Madeline loved rainbows. She drew rainbows everywhere. So I always say that she was a rainbow kind of kid and the whole world associates purple butterflies with her, but I associate rainbows with her. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, you thank loved you it. again for um, just taking this time and, and giving us a little glimpse and, into your world. And if there's anything that we can do to help spread the word, please don't hesitate. And you guys check out, um, Aaron's blog, climbing up the polka dot tree dot WordPress. I'll post that link up and, um, just keep doing what you're Thank doing, you. lady. It's awesome. Thank you. I'll talk Thank to you, you soon. And it was awesome to talk to you. Have a good day. You too. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. A big thanks to CycleOps for sponsoring this episode and giving us a fantastic giveaway for the listeners of this podcast. Go to swimbikemom.com forward slash giveaway to see what's up from CycleOps and check them out at cycleops.com where you can learn about why they are the number one bike trainer brand in America.